Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. If you missed any of my talk radio breakfast show, don't worry. We've put some of the punchiest bits of this morning's show into a bite-sized podcast. The Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. Enjoy. Online, on DAB and on the talk radio app. Talk Radio. I'm delighted to welcome the Business Secretary, Alex Sharma, to the show. Good morning to you. Morning, Julia. Good morning. Lots to talk about. Let's get straight down to it. Let's talk, first of all, about Rishi Sunak, your, your colleague, the Chancellor's uh, statement to, uh, tomorrow, his mini budget. We've had lots of things trailed in terms of, you know, green budget, vouchers for home insulation, uh, help indeed uh, for uh, uh, various different uh, sections, uh, traineeships and the like. Um, what is going to be the big message tomorrow in terms of keeping people in jobs and getting people new jobs? How is the government going to do it? Well, I think let's wait and see uh, the details of what uh, the Chancellor announces tomorrow. Of course, there will also be a a spending review in the autumn, uh, so we'll have more details then. Uh, But specifically in terms of the the, the package on on, uh, uh, green jobs, uh, there's £3 billion that he will be setting out. A billion of that, Julia, is going towards uh, making sure that uh, we have energy efficiency in public buildings, so our hospitals and schools and the like. But then £2 billion of that set uh, aside for uh, households, so uh, people can make their homes more energy efficient, they can reduce their energy bills by hundreds of pounds a year, uh, and of course it's also about supporting green jobs, so there'll be uh, around 130,000 jobs that will be supported as a result of this, this is tradespeople in the construction sector, uh, builders, plumbers, uh, and what people will be able to do is uh, get funding, support from the government uh, for uh, loft insulation, uh, floor insulation, uh, uh, double glazing uh, and the like. Uh, Two thirds of the cost, uh, uh, up to a total of £5,000, will be uh, covered by uh, a government contribution. Uh, And for those on lower income, 100% of the cost uh, will be covered up to £10,000 for for the government. But we've had a lot of these sort of green measures before. Do you think that at a time when we are facing economic crisis, uh, massive debts for years and years, people being out of work in their millions, the, the, the insulation for people's homes is a top priority for people? Well, I think it's a top priority. I'm sure many of your listeners will very much uh, welcome this. Uh, and, uh, Julie, this is uh, allows they us to They might welcome it. No, I can, no, but welcoming yeah. something. Oh, would you like to give me some free money, you know, paid for by the tax? But yes, please. But is this a top priority for our economy, for individual people who just want jobs? 
Yeah, I think this is a top priority. As I said, this is going to support 130,000 jobs, uh, uh, tradespeople, builders, plumbers. Uh, I think many of those people across uh, England will very much welcome that. And at the same time, you know, we, we have this target of uh, net zero emissions by 2050. And part of that is making sure that we make our buildings and our homes much more energy efficient. Uh, and this will deliver uh, uh, towards that target in 2050. And again, you know, it is about putting money in people's pockets, uh, particularly at this time. Uh, very many people will welcome that. OK, let's also talk about uh, uh, your boss, the Prime Minister, getting in some hot water, criticised for his comments yesterday, saying that too many care homes didn't really follow the procedures. He's been accused of now uh, blaming uh, you know, often low-paid care home workers for not following procedures to keep residents safe and, and blaming them for in part for the 30,000 excess deaths we've seen in care homes during the lockdown. Um, was he right? what he said well um people who've been working in care homes uh, have of course done a, a brilliant job under very difficult circumstances and, and they've been incredibly brave in in supporting those uh, in in care homes i think the prime minister was merely pointing out that nobody knew what the correct procedures were uh, because the extent of, of uh, you know what we refer to as asymptomatic transmission wasn't known at the time you'd also know julia that we then uh, put in place uh, a comprehensive action plan uh, to deal with uh, the, the pandemic, to deal with coronavirus, uh, to protect uh, people in care homes. We put in place a rigorous uh, testing regime. And of course, we provided extra funding as well. There was an extra £600 million pounds, uh, as part of an infection control fund that went in. So we have, throughout this process, supported care homes. And you will know the Prime Minister, uh, in, in every press conference he's done, in every public uh, uh, messaging that he's done, he's been incredibly supportive of the NHS. And indeed, the care section will continue. To do okay. That. Well, we've just spoken a couple of moments ago to Nadra Ahmed, who's the chair of the National Care Association, and and she pointed out, well, actually, you know, I mean, you say nobody knew, but erring on the safe side would have seemed seemed sensible in terms of uh, asymptomatic uh, transmission. Uh, but they couldn't get their hands on PPE. A lot of these care homes, of course, private bodies, uh, but it was impossible to buy the stuff. You simply couldn't get it delivered because everything was diverted to the NHS. Um, you say, you know, we you supported care homes with testing. Well, there wasn't testing. I've got I've got an age on in in care home i know that they couldn't get testing because even people like me and i'm as sharp elbowed middle class as you get i couldn't get testing for those in the care home even though they had a feared outbreak the reality is actually they got conflicting advice the procedures uh, were changed they were given the wrong advice early on from the government saying look that it was a very low risk for elderly people in care homes and that actually any the deaths in care homes are the fault of either the nhs dispatching people home from hospital beds without any coronavirus testing and not getting enough pp isn't all the fault actually at the hands of either the government or the nhs well uh, julia we've learned an awful lot about uh, this particular virus over the last few months and that's why we've been able to put in place additional guidance actually not just for care homes but also for the workplaces so um, as we've learned more we've been able to to act I, I certainly agree with you is that it was all pretty challenging at the start but frankly it was pretty challenging for every country um, uh, uh, you know across the world uh, dealing with this this pandemic uh, but the key thing was that we made progress um, and we did put in place the measures and the guidance and we have provided after 30,000 people died well uh, look every single death is a tragedy and um, you know I want to thank uh, once again uh, people who work in the NHS in the care sector for everything that they've done we would not be here uh, at this point being able to reopen our economy uh, in a phased manner without all of that support that they have provided but specifically in terms of care homes and and, and testing 
Uh, you know that at the end of April, we extended testing to um, uh, everyone in, in care homes that included asymptomatic staff. So we have made progress. But I, I of course, I acknowledge that at the start of this pandemic, it was incredibly challenging uh, dealing with, uh, you know, all the issues that were coming up. OK, uh, well, let's talk about what's challenging in terms of the lockdown easing right now. And people enjoying Super Saturday, as I did. I went to a restaurant. They had my details because I'd you know, given my phone number and my name when I booked. Uh, but the, the pub, uh, someone else had booked that for me and uh, put pub table, sat outside the pub. Um, no one asked for my name. No one asked for my details. Although there was a, a, something I could put my mobile phone on the wall, which I did to, to give my details in case there was an outbreak. But we've now seen three pubs close where there had been an outbreak uh, from some of the punters in the pub and having to close. But are you convinced that uh, all businesses in the hospitality area are actually um, taking the information that they are supposed to take, although I understand not legally obliged to take, to make sure that we don't see any spread of the coronavirus as a result of that lockdown easing? Yeah. So, Julia and I, um, you know, along with lots of people, you included, went to a pub uh, at the weekend. Uh, I certainly found that they took uh, our details uh, exactly as they should have done. There were procedures in place uh, in terms of how people conducted themselves inside uh, the, the, the pub and people were following uh, the rules. And I think the vast majority of businesses have done that. And the fact that some pubs have now closed, I think shows that the system is working. So people are having their information collected. That is being uh, there's no shared requirement. with, with the there's no, there's no legal requirement for pubs to do that. They can give the option for it. There was there was no, I mean, I, I did not see anyone else in the uh, in the pub garden I was in giving their details and, and, and checking in on this, uh, on this, uh, on this, you know, this you know, you know, hashtag or whatever it is that you you have to you, you show up on your phone to actually register um I, I didn't see anyone else do that if there was an outbreak in the pub i was in i was sitting outside pretty sure i'm safe but if there was an outbreak i wouldn't know about it they wouldn't know about it yeah well uh, i can't speak for the specific pub you went into i mean i can tell you <laughs> no, the one that I, well no obviously but what i can tell you the one i went to uh, things were working well we want to make sure that uh, all of these settings are taking those details well, how do we I mean, know I'll that how do well, we well, know? Well, it's not a legal requirement. How do we know that pubs are and restaurants are taking people's information? Uh, because uh, ultimately it is in their self-interest to make sure that they're taking that information and they are keeping people safe, they're keeping their, their workers safe. I mean, you know, you have uh, a legal requirements, legal duties as an employer to keep your workers safe. So, uh, you know, throughout this process, I think people have shown an enormous, enormous amount of common sense. And, you know, I've been speaking to business every day and yes, they want to get the economy opened up, but they also understand we need to do this in a safe way. And it is in their self-interest to collect this information and, and pass it on. OK, just finally, I want to ask you about Harry and Meghan. The Duke and Duchess of Sussex have issued another video talking about the Commonwealth and how they need to acknowledge past wrongs in order to move forward. Uh, and also that we need to recognise the thorny issue of unconscious racial bias, but uh, questioning the uh, the back or the, the past of the Commonwealth. Um, is the Commonwealth racist? Well, I haven't seen the video, so um, you'll forgive me if I, I don't sort of comment on the details of it. Um, uh, all I would say to you is that, um, you know, I, you know, I, I uh, uh, am from England stock. I came to this country as, as a child 40 odd years ago. Uh, and I think we've made enormous progress in the UK when it comes to dealing with these issues around racism uh, and discrimination. Uh, of course, there is always more that we can and should be doing. Uh, on the other hand, what I don't think we want to do, be doing is effectively rewriting past history. Across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker, Talk Radio. 
indeed. Right, well, now let's turn our attention to uh, uh, people at the other end of their lives and the, the elderly in care homes. Boris Johnson has faced an awful lot of criticism after he said uh, during a trip out with his high-vis jacket and his uh, hard hat yesterday, showing off his new haircut, by the way, uh, for saying that too many care homes didn't really follow the procedures. Uh, he said it was important to fund the sector, but it needed to be properly organised and supported. Uh, but uh, he basically was uh, saying uh, he's accused of blaming the care home workers for not following procedures for so many deaths. Uh, and uh, those working in that uh, care home scenario have hit back. None least, uh, my next guest, Nadra Ahmed, OBE, chairman of the National Care Association. Good morning, to you, Nadra. Hello, good morning. Um, you, Boris yeah. Johnson accused of uh, basically blaming care home workers for the pandemic, uh, hitting so many in the care homes, uh, tens of thousands dying. Uh, what do you make of his comments? Well, it's a classic case of not looking at what they didn't do. Um, and I think that's the problem. Um, they're forgetting that they uh, diverted uh, all PPE away from care homes and into the NHS. And then when they realised they'd done that, they put a drop into all care homes, 300 masks, uh, which is what we needed. Um, and they've all been recalled because they were faulty. So that, that, that's, you know, just an aside here. Yeah. We didn't have testing which we were calling for from the very beginning. The procedures he talks about are very interesting because I think we're on about the seventh or eighth iteration of the guidance for, for the use of PPE. So it was chaotic. It was coming out in, in different formats uh, with, with conflicting guidance through one piece of uh, 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 procedure. And actually providers were looking for this guidance and actually following it. Well, it did. My understanding that actually the care homes that did most successfully, and we know that you know, like two thirds of care homes haven't seen coronavirus outbreaks at all. Uh, but actually, it was the care homes who ignored the government official advice, which was that, and again from the Sage Committee and the, the chief medical officer, chief scientific advisor, that that care the elderly care home uh, residents were not a high risk, and there was no particular reason to be concerned about that. But the, the care homes that went, mm, I think we're going to lock down and not have visitors and be extra careful, they're the ones that be most successful. So actually. Ignoring government guidance was uh, was what was crucial in keeping people alive. Absolutely, because providers very early on started to close the doors. Um, the ones that were taking the, the the problem was there were people in hospitals that they were trying to bring out of hospitals. We were told that was safe, despite the fact we were advising everybody, especially our membership. We were saying to them, just make sure you get a clear negative before you you bring them in. But there was there was compulsion in some ways. That so you, need to, you know, we need to this, end this. This is NHS chiefs, NHS managers saying you've got to take this elderly resident back. I mean, often they're not just just they're not just sort of sent off to a care home from being in hospital. Often they've been in a care home, gone to hospital. Absolutely. The view was, wasn't it, that basically, as we know now, virtually all the people who were getting infected were getting infected in hospitals. So they were getting people out of hospitals. But I think we all just assumed they were sending people home who who were who had already been tested and were known to be clear. And on the contrary, we now know most people who were transferred to, to care homes weren't tested at all. That's right. And I think testing was the key to all of this, because if they had been absolutely clear that you, they would they would keep somebody in a holding um, service mm. until they were had a clear, uh, and then send them back. And we've got we've got cases where somebody has had somebody come back with twenty bedded service, where ten people or in um, uh, eighteen people were infected and ten sadly lost their lives. Yeah. 
Across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. Talk Radio. Uh, let's talk about what is going to happen, though, to uh, thousands of vulnerable teenagers who are predicted to fall through the gaps in the school and the social care system. This is the words of the Children's Commissioner, Anne Longfield, uh, as we come out of the coronavirus crisis, come out of lockdown and uh, head into what we may see is mass unemployment. Well, I'm delighted to say that Anne Longfield, OBE, does join me right now. Good morning to you. Good morning. And you're warning about this lost generation of vulnerable teenagers. Look, where I think parents you've got, you know, from not, you know, families where everything's going well, mum and dad is there, they've got jobs, they've been looking after their kids during lockdown. They're worried about their children's future, but we're talking about the children who are already at risk long before coronavirus hit, aren't we? That's right. These are the kids who already struggle with school. They've got really complex needs. Often school couldn't meet them. They're not bad enough to get social care. You know, they're not that complex but actually they fall in and out of the system. So there will be long, persistent absences from school, there'll be exclusions and the like. And of course, with six months out of school, that whole kind of structure and normality in their lives has disappeared. And often there'll be fragile home environments where there may be domestic violence, there may be severe mental health conditions at home. So a lot of these kids, I fear, have lost their bearings. We're talking about 120,000 children. So I'm not trying to say all teenagers here, uh, but those that were already struggling. And what I want to happen is that there is a distinct programme, distinct activity from councils, youth workers, schools, to find those kids, target them, and find a way to get them back into school. And actually, potentially have a better experience in school than they had before. Yeah, indeed. And again, with so much concern about, you know, the, the kids, you know, just the, the average child missing out on months and months of education, you can understand why they would end up sipping through the gaps because they're they're trying to deal with the majority of children right. and not the small minority. But again, as you say, I mean, these are youngsters who perhaps, you know, they've got home lives. I mean, one thing you didn't mention, you know, drug and alcohol abuse, huge factor in a lot of these children's lives, uh, broken homes and the like, joblessness. They don't have the habit of going to school as it is. Uh, you know, the, the idea that, you know, alarm clock britain everyone's getting up you get you know you get your breakfast you go to school you go to work the, the sort of the norms of most people's everyday lives aren't norms in their homes already and with uh, you know three months four months five months six months of lockdown um there any effort they had had of having a normal life that's already gone what sort of measures would you think are needed though to get those children and they are still children these teenagers to get them to get them well back on the straight and narrow and get into a hopefully a long productive happy healthy life so we've got a couple of months to really help them stabilize help reintroduce the idea that school is still part of their lives and actually find ways to support them back into the classrooms. Now, often it's actually youth workers that they respond best to. You know, they may already have connections. They might be able to actually uh, build their relationship and find ways to get them back into school. I would like to see activities over the summer, actually, be they in schools, not run by teachers, but actually run by youth workers, because that would be a way, again, of reintroducing them, re-engaging them back into the school environment. But my fear is if we don't do this, it's just too difficult. Schools will have so much to do in September, and it's too difficult to persuade these kids who don't think that school is now for them. They may have also had apprenticeships lined up, which have crumbled because you know, a lot of apprentice um, schemes have been furloughed. So this is something which is so of the moment. And my fear is that if we don't act now, potentially there could be a generation of really vulnerable kids who face poor employment, 
for their future as a result, or indeed worse, being targeted by gangs, by organised crime, all those who want to exploit that vulnerability. Online, on DAB, and on the Talk Radio app. Talk Radio. Thanks for listening to the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and give me a good review. And don't forget to catch me on the Talk Radio Breakfast Show every weekday from 6.30 until 10. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odour control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.